At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, save on select steel battery tools. Right now, save $50 on the FSA 57 battery trimmer set. Real steel. Find yours at steeldealers.com. With AK-10 battery and AL-101 charger, offer valid for limited time only while supplies last. See participating dealer for details. This is the New York City Cast with Will Hill, presented by Bet Rivers. What is up? New York City Cast presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook, a Monday show for you today uh, after what was just another wild, wild day of NFL football. We have a Super Bowl set, and it was a, a hell of a route to get there. Uh, with the Bengals going to face off against the Rams here in a couple weeks. Uh, good show for you today. Adam Burke of VEASAN, a sports betting analyst, will be on to talk about uh, this past weekend, the Super Bowl. We actually do a little baseball as we start to turn the calendar. Tomorrow is February. Usually by now we're you know right around Super Bowl time with everything pushed back. Uh, it's, it's obviously not until the middle of February now. You know, In past years when there was no two-week break and it was a 17-week season, 16 games, Season would pretty much be over late January, early February, but uh, the, the calendar turns tomorrow to February. Start to focus on basketball, even baseball. But we can't let go of football, not yet, not after what we saw yesterday. And boy, at 21 to 3, uh, I think you all thought what I thought, which was the Bengals had a nice run, uh, sort of like a Cinderella team in the NCAA tournament. All right, they can win a couple games, they can get to the Sweet 16. Maybe they get to the Elite Eight. Cinderella never cuts down the nets in the NCAA tournament. They never get to, if they get to the Final Four, that's about it. Uh, we saw Cinderella have one last dance yesterday, and that was just a gut wrenching loss. If you're the Chiefs, I, I don't know how you come back from that. I'm sure, look, you come back next year, you have Mahomes, Hill, Kelsey, you just kind of run it back, you tweak a few things, and I'm sure they'll win their 12 or 13 games, but that's one that's going to take a long, long time to get over. And, you know, you go you go back to the play before the half where they could have gotten seven, should have at least come away with three. Uh, I can't kill Reed for that. With five seconds left, you're at the one. You got a chance to throw the ball in the end zone quickly. Uh, it's either incomplete or it's a touchdown. You can't you can't do what Mahomes did, and that is have the ball, put the ball in play, in, in the field of play where you come away with nothing, you know. Honestly, at the time, it, it didn't seem like a big deal. It seemed like maybe it was a big deal if you laid the seven or the seven and a half. You shouldn't have laid the seven and a half. There were sevens out there. Uh, it, it felt like maybe it would be a big deal if you bet the Chiefs team total over like I did. But in terms of the game, it was like, eh, it's 21-10. The Chiefs are moving the ball at will. Three drives, three touchdowns, not a big deal. Uh, Chiefs get the ball to start the second half. They're up 11. They'll probably score, go up 28-10, and uh, this thing will be over. And the Chiefs, it was really similar to the first matchup where the Chiefs offense just did nothing the second half. Mahomes wasn't bad in the second half. Mahomes was awful. Awful. And this is really the first knock on his legacy. Last year in the Super Bowl, the final score is one thing. His stats are one thing. He was running for his life. He had no offensive line. Hill dropped a million balls. Kelsey dropped a million balls. I actually thought he played really, really well in the Super Bowl last year. He was just you know, a man on an island. He was playing by himself last year. Yesterday was bad. Yesterday's going to stick with him a little bit. Uh, now, again, you expect him to bounce back. He'll be you know, favorite to win the MVP. Chiefs will be right up there, favorite to win the Super Bowl. You figure he'll get back to playing Super Bowls. He'll, he'll you know, have his moments where he is the best player in the league again. But, man, that was a tough one. And uh, it just shows you how hard it is to win. When you look at Rodgers, he's gone 11 seasons without making a Super Bowl. And Mahomes yesterday, they win that game. They close it out. You're thinking back to, wow, if D. Ford isn't offsides, Mahomes is playing in his fourth straight Super Bowl. Now you can kind of look at it the other way. He's only won one. They've hosted four AFC title games in a row, and they've only won one Super Bowl, favored last year and lost. Uh, and even the one they won, they were down 10 on defense in the fourth quarter. 
So just a brutal loss. Uh, I don't know how you get over that one if you're the Chiefs. If you're a Chiefs fan, uh, it's just just a mind-boggling, mind-boggling collapse. It reminded me a little bit of the Yankees uh, 2004 against the Red Sox when they're up 3-0 in the ALCS, and they win game 3, 19-8. And it's just it's a laugher. They're going to run away with the sweep. They're winning the next night, take a lead into the ninth inning. And then it just flipped, and it never flipped back. And that was... Uh, that was Mahomes yesterday. I mean, he was so good early. He was he was impeccable. He was absolutely perfect in the game. Absolutely perfect. And then he was awful. I don't know. It's hard to speculate, and that's exactly what I'm going to be doing here. I don't know if he took a hit and he got a concussion. He just wasn't seeing the field clearly. Uh, you know, he threw a pick in overtime. He almost threw a pick on all three of his throws in overtime. You know, Eli Apple, uh, an old giant favorite, dropped the pick six. And, man, if... if the Chiefs ever came back and won after that Apple would just never be able to live that down that was a bad one first play of overtime uh, he, he threw a ball that was so badly thrown it, it couldn't even be intercepted and even the one at 21-13 I really thought this is when it started to get serious because at 21-10 alright you're still in good shape uh, Bengals get the ball back settle for a field goal 21-13 eh, you need the touchdown you need the two and you're on defense well Mahomes put you put you on offense pretty quickly because he threw what tried to be a screen pass. It got tipped, and it was just a, a, a no-reward, high-risk play. It got tipped. It got intercepted. Uh, even if it was completed, it wasn't going anywhere. And That's where it started to get serious. At 21-13, the Bengals get the touchdown, third down to chase, two-point conversion, and then you're starting to think, wow, this could actually happen. And You know, I... I really didn't think the Chiefs were going to win. Once they turned like that, I just kind of got a weird vibe. And they drove down the field, and it looked like, you know, they're down three. It looked like you're going to be wrong there, and they're going to score and uh, probably win the game. And they just got way too cute, I thought, at the end. I don't know if they were trying to manipulate the time and how they could score. It just felt like, uh, I know Romo was saying, you know, the Bengals should let them score. I, I, I never felt that way. I thought that they had a good chance to stop them. The Chiefs offense just looked off. Uh, Mahomes running around with a chi like a chicken with his head cut off on those last few plays. Lucky he didn't fumble the game away in regulation. Uh, he had Kill Hill open on one of the plays. He had Kelsey open on one of the plays. Just a terrible, terrible performance from Mahomes and the Bengals. What a great story. I mean, what a great story. Uh, you know, the Chiefs are culpable in this, but you, know, you give the Bengals credit. Burrow made some great plays getting out of sacks, running around, using his legs more than usual. Even he got away with. I think it was Ingram who dropped an interception. Burrow made a terrible play, just trying to run out, uh, you know, run out of bounds, throw the ball away. But he throws it. He throws it out away in play, and Ingram should have intercepted it, dropped it, and just felt like you know what? It's it's not going to happen for the Chiefs. And even when they won the toss, I know everyone on Twitter saying, "Up oh, here we go, Chiefs are going to win the toss, go down and score." I never felt that way. I never felt that way. They were just out of sync, and you know, not only did they not score in the second half, they only had the three points. A lot of them were three and outs. And just a uh, a terrible loss. And, you know, sometimes in a game like this, it's the subtle plays that get forgotten about. First drive of the game, Andy Reid burns a timeout to call to challenge the play. You know, it was a terrible spot. Kelsey had the first down. Um, they, they mark him short. Andy Reid's not sure what to do, so he calls a timeout to see if he should challenge it. Then he challenges it. He wins the challenge. But uh, that timeout cost him at the end because they could have run. They could have operated their, you know, offense differently uh, at the end of the half. Nine seconds left, they're at the one-yard line, and that's another big play. Tyreek Tyree Hill gets interfered with in the end zone. Uh, if he doesn't get interfered with, he probably scores a touchdown there. It's 28-10, and Bengals probably don't come back. But anyway, I mean, nine seconds left. If you have a timeout there, you can run. You can do some different things. You're probably going to score the touchdown, and the game's over. Uh, you would think. You would think. But just settle plays like that, burning a timeout when you don't have to, uh, the interference to save a touchdown. And it all adds up to just a stunning, stunning come-from-behind victory uh, for the Bengals. I, I'm trying to find out if anyone had a ticket. I'm sure somebody had a crazy ticket out there in terms of the live line uh, for the Bengals, what what they were on the money line. They had to have been 20-1, to 25-1. Just a, a crazy comeback, an epic collapse by the Chiefs. And they were not alone. Uh as we switch over to the, the late game, it felt like it was the JV game for a little bit because that first game was so crazy, similar to last week, where, man, these games are so good. Once the second game starts, you kind of need a second to catch your breath, a second to to get into it because the first game is just so emotional, so intense, and then you have to kind of start over from the first quarter again. It's it kind of difficult. It's a strange scenario where, all right, we still got another game after this. You almost need a minute to catch your breath, but... Uh, the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan up to his old tricks. He totally gives this game away. McShay 
was no tactician either, challenging things left and right, just a total disaster. But uh, the Rams had control early. Uh, the 49ers took the punch, got away with some things in the red zone, you know, intercepted Stafford, got some drops from the Rams. Uh, they go in a half up 10-7. They get the 17-7 lead, and they just pissed the game away. I mean, let's, be, let's be honest about it. I mean, Shanahan has done this before, 28-3 in the Super Bowl as a coordinator. Uh, two years ago, he's in the Super Bowl. He's up 10 with the ball, fourth quarter. Doesn't get the game home. Ends up losing, I think, that game by 10 points, too. I mean, that game went the other way quickly. Uh, and yesterday, up 17-7, defense just couldn't get off the field. A million third downs for the Rams. Ends up being 17-14. But the 49ers are driving. The 49ers are in decent shape here. They're driving. Uh, they're in Rams territory. They have a second and one in Rams territory. They go backwards, third and two, fourth and two. And this is it. This is uh, cautious Kyle, as we call him. I mean, he, he you know, comes off as this analytically you know, driven guy. He's young. He's an offensive mind. He is just so conservative in these games. And uh, he got away with it against Dallas. I was knocking him for, the, for his performance against the Cowboys, you know, kicking short field goals, punting fourth and one in enemy territory. He did not get away yesterday. He lost, and uh, he deserved to lose. He deserved to lose. He didn't coach a bad game. He coached a terrible game yesterday. Uh, just... Not being aggressive. I know you don't have all the faith in the world in Garoppolo, but look, it's second and one. It's third and two. The plays he ran from second and one on were terrible. Second and one, third and two. You have Kittle. You have Debo. You have a million weapons. Play action there. You're going to hit him for probably 15, 20 yards of a chunk play, and you're going to get the ball down to the 20. You can run the clock. If you score there, the game is over. Uh, of course, they don't do it. They don't. They, they punt the football. McVay challenges him. It gives him a minute to think about it. That might have been the worst challenge I've ever seen, by the way. I don't know who told him to challenge it. Whoever's instructing him on the challenges needs to be fired. That's a joke. I mean, that's the worst challenge you'll ever see. I had no chance of winning. Uh, Fox did a bad job, too. They cut to commercial before showing. I think it was Juice Check who went to the ground. They didn't really give you a good replay. They had to get their commercials in. Then they came back and they show you the replay and you keep waiting for it. Like, wait, he challenged that? That's what he challenged? He challenged that, and it was just it was ridiculous, really a ridiculous challenge. But then it looks like Shanahan's going to rethink it. His offense is on the field. You're thinking, all right, it makes sense. Go for it. This is good. Let's go uh, if you got the 49ers. And then he does this play, which I'm so sick of this play. This play needs to be outlawed. This play, it, it, I'm just so sick of it. They go up to the line. They half-ass this. You know, we're, we're going to try to draw you off sides. Nobody ever goes off sides. Nobody falls for this, okay? It just, it's boring to watch. It's stupid. It's clearly, it's blatantly obvious three seconds into the whole thing that you're not going to snap the ball. Nobody falls for it. Nobody believes it. It doesn't work. Stop doing it. Just go for it. Snap the ball. Just, just brutal. And Debo Samuel, who's about as good as any non-quarterback in the league, he might be the best player in football. I mean, Cooper Cup is right up there with it. Debo is just so damn good. He has a touch with 12.45 left to go in the game. It was either a run or a catch. He doesn't touch the ball the rest of the game. Doesn't touch the ball the rest of the game. Uh, and really, after they punted, it just it never went the other way for the 49ers. They drop an interception on the next play. Uh, that's one you're going to think about for a long time if you're the 49ers. And it's amazing. You know, these legacies, I do it. We're all guilty of it. Stafford's going to be looked at differently here if they go on and win a Super Bowl, which they're favored to do. Four-point favorite, total 49.5 at Bet River Sportsbook. Uh, the under seen some money. But if Stafford goes on to win a Super Bowl, he's looked at completely different, rightfully so. You know, he's got the stats. He's got the passing numbers, the yards. You know, he was just oh, – there was always question, is he a winner or is he just put up, you know, empty stats? If he's got a Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl championship next to all those stats, I don't think he's going to get in the Hall of Fame, but he's going to be, you know uh, – He's going to get consideration at least. He's going to be viewed differently as a guy who has great stats and he won a Super Bowl. Who knows? I mean, he's not retiring anytime soon, so maybe he could win another one. It's amazing. If that interception is just caught, if that ball was caught and that was such, first of all, he had forever to run. Second of all, it was it was like a fair catch. It's like a center fielder just camping up, uh, camping out under a, a fly ball. Uh, even Buck said intercepted, then he had to stop himself and I said, oh no, it's dropped. I mean, it was just such a bad drop and he was going to run for a long time. And, uh, you know, it's amazing if he catches that ball, 49ers probably, you know, get points, drive, take some time off the clock and probably win the game. They're a huge favorite to win the game if he makes that catch. And, you know, it's just funny how legacies come down to things that you really can't control. Like it's not Stafford's, you know, it's, it, it's not, you can't credit him for the guy dropping the ball. Although you could say, you know what, Stafford had some drops the other way. Cup dropped one. Uh, Skoranek, who we basically never heard of, had a bad drop in the end zone. So I guess it evened out, but 
you know, just funny how a drop, a catch can, you know, really shape somebody's legacy, somebody's whole perception. So uh, the Rams pull it out. You just kind of felt like once they got that game even, they were going to they pull ahead. The, the 49ers just had no faith in Garoppolo. Garoppolo was bad. Uh, I've defended him at times. I thought he's kind of underrated, underappreciated. Who knows if he wasn't healthy, the shoulder, uh, whatever. He just, it looked bad. It looked bad. And, uh, probably a fitting ending to his 49er career if this is it for him. And there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks on the move that his last play as a 49er is just some kind of careless shovel to the defender as he's under pressure just to, on third down you didn't need to do that just throw it up throw it away live for another down take the sack give yourself another chance to throw the ball on fourth down so uh the rams win the game they kick the field goal run out the clock uh 13 to uh 20 to 17 so the 49ers do cover the three and a half and obviously the Bengals cover and they win and just what was uh, an incredible day. I mean, the last six games, I remember doing this show last Friday before the divisional round saying, you know what? The games have been kind of ho-hum in the NFL. Not a lot of lead changes, not a lot of craziness. I feel like we're about to get some craziness in the divisional round. And, you know, I went into this weekend thinking, wow, the, the games are so good in the divisional round that, you know, maybe we get one good game, but we're probably going to get one blowout out of these uh, conference games. Man, they were both just epic, down to the last second, edge of your seat. Uh, just great entertainment. I mean, the games, for all the NFL's issue with the refs, uh, you know, bad calls. The NFL can have some image problems at times. Uh, it's kind of funny how COVID has just gone away once the playoffs have started. But the NFL is just a great product. I mean, it's, it's very entertaining for all of its flaws, for all the things you don't like about it sometimes. The NFL is just, uh, it's king for a reason. The ratings are what they are for a reason. It's just great drama. It's great entertainment. And uh, that was a hell of a day of football yesterday. All right, New York City Cast presented by Bet River Sportsbook. We have a very special guest, the VEASAN betting analyst, Adam Burke. You can find him on Twitter at, at SkatingTripods. What's going on, Adam? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm ready to uh, get this Super Bowl discussion going. By the time we actually get to the game, we'll all be tired of the game. But uh, definitely looking forward to this matchup for sure. Well, I mentioned that you are a betting expert. Uh, I don't know why you didn't let me know that before the season – Rams Bengals, which paid five hundred to one, was gonna hit. Uh, how much did you get down on this one? Uh, Zero dollars. In fact, it's funny. I was talking with Jeff Parles. We did Bet Center together on Saturday night, and uh, he made mention Bengals season win total was like five and a half. You know, yeah. in a seventeen game season, uh, and here they are in the Super Bowl. And you know, the Rams had high expectations, but I think they've still surpassed them given the fact that you know, they are in the Super Bowl here coming out of a very difficult division. So uh, it's an interesting yet unexpected matchup for sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess just because we'll have so much time to talk about the Super Bowl, we'll just go back to yesterday. Uh, what do you think happened with Mahomes? I've never seen such a turn in play. I mean, he was just so dominant. He's like a pitcher pitching a perfect game, you know, through six innings. Then he, he walked in the ballpark, giving up home runs left and right. I mean, it was just such a turn in performance. Uh, I didn't have a problem with going for the touchdown there before the half, but you just have to be smart about it. You got to throw it quick. You got to throw it in the end zone. You, know, you can't throw the ball in play. You can't take a sack. You have five, with five seconds, you have enough time, uh, you know, to get the ball in the end zone. If nothing's there, you throw it at the ground. Did you have a problem with the decision at all? No, I never have a problem usually with decisions to go for seven instead of three, you know, especially when you talk about Joe Burrow being on the other side and feeling the need to add on. Look, this was kind of a copy of what we saw in the first game where the Chiefs only had three points in the second half of that one. They led 28-17 at half. Bengals win that game 34-31. Although the difference in the first game is Kansas City only had three second half possessions and only scored a field goal. They had six second half possessions here plus the overtime possession and only managed a field goal. So a lot of credit to Lou Anarumo. And in fact, this was something I looked up here this morning. Cincinnati, 25th in points allowed per game in the first half during the regular season. Third in points allowed per game in the second half. So Lou Anarumo adjusts really, really well at halftime once he knows what's going on. That was the case in both of the Chiefs matchups. Yeah. Uh, do you think now, was there a coverage change in terms of the plan for, for the Bengals? I saw somewhere that they really were starting to drop eight. Uh, we saw Mahomes be very aggressive early in the game. Uh, do you think it was schematic? Do you think now you can't prove this? I don't know if Mahomes took a hit and he just wasn't seeing the field clearly. It just it was such a turn, you know, from the first half, the first three drives, they get 21 points, about to have 28. Uh, do you think it was schematic? What, what do you what did you make out of you know why the the drastic turnaround? Yeah, it did look like Anarumo's defense just started disguising coverages a lot better. You know, they were bringing up safeties towards the line, then dropping them way back. As you mentioned, dropping eight back in coverage. And Mahomes didn't make the adjustments. And and I sort of wonder, 
if, and this is going off on a completely different tangent, but I sort of wonder if maybe there's a concern with Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, and his ability to adjust in-game. You know, because, look, he's had a ton of interviews. He's never gotten a head coaching job. Maybe this will be the cycle that he does with nine openings. But, you know, it does seem like the Chiefs kind of, to some degree on offense, win because of their talent level and not as much because of their scheme, because of their route concepts and all of that. And maybe we just kind of saw that play out in the second half of yesterday's game where the Bengals adjusted and the Chiefs were unable to do so. Yeah, how about uh, how about the second game here, the the 49ers and the Rams, not exactly a coaching clinic either way. McVay burning challenges left and right. Uh, Shanahan punting three times from the L.A. 45 or in. Uh, I kind of got on him the Cowboy game. I thought he got away with it. Everyone was focused on McCarthy, rightfully so. The QB draw with 14 seconds left. I thought versus Dallas, he really let him hang around. You know, third and, Fourth and one, he kicked a, a short field goal. Uh, late in the game, he punted from enemy territory. Look, fourth and one, if you're punting from enemy territory, it's 2022, you're just not doing it right. Uh, really some poor coaching decision. When you look at it, he had second and one at the LA 44, 42 maybe, about to put the game away. You're up three, seven, eight, eight minutes left. Uh, you know, to run, go backwards, and then punt it there. Uh, just a disastrous sequence there. What did you make of McVay, Shanahan, uh, and just that whole coaching fiasco? Yeah, I mean, again, this was a talking point throughout the week. You know, if, if you wanted to bet the spread on this NFC Championship game, which coach would you trust? You know, because both of these guys in those late game situations have made some terrible decisions. And, you know, we've seen McVay get uber conservative. That's something that, of course, happened in that game against Tampa Bay. We've seen Shanahan get too conservative. And we saw both guys with a lot of poor clock management decisions, a lot of just late game scenarios that they appeared to be unready for, which is kind of amazing given that, you know, the 49ers have played in big games. Shanahan's been a coordinator in big games. McVay has been a head coach in big games. So, you know, I think it is a really big concern as we head into the Super Bowl if you want to back uh, the, the Rams here because McVay has his issues. But, you know, look, part of me wants to say that Shanahan gave that game away. And, look, if Tart makes the interception, we may not be talking about this at all. But also, too, I mean, the Rams had six trips into the red zone. They only scored yep. two touchdowns. They badly outgained San Francisco in that game. They were clearly the better team. Their quarterback play was drastically better with Matthew Stafford. Neither team could run the football, but the Rams also did a really good job against the 49ers running game. So it's really interesting. These two coaches, I think, are both brilliant in terms of offensive minds, in terms of game planning and game scripting. The problem is they just don't know what to do late in the game with their clock management with understanding the game state. And look, it's going to continue to follow Shanahan around, and, and it may be something that follows McVay around if the Bengals win the Super Bowl, and it's because of something McVay does wrong in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because you think of them, they're younger guys, they're, you, you associate being younger, offensive-minded with being analytically driven, but it's really not the case. You know, McVay has his shortcomings in terms of that. You know, he kicks field goals. He's very conservative. And Shanahan, like you said, it's starting to follow him around now. You can say, oh, he's the offensive coordinator for the 28-3 Super Bowl. It's not on him. It's still, that's a 28-3 Super Bowl where he's the coordinator. He had, he had his hands in it. I mean, you got to give him some uh, grief for that one. Then two years ago, he's up 10 with the ball in the fourth quarter against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Let's that get away. And then he's up 10 yesterday late in that game. You know, I think that it was in the fourth quarter, you know, 16, 17 minutes left. Uh, it, it's a 10-point game. And uh, look, it's it's only 10 points. The NFL, it, it happens. But uh, a lot has to go right for you to blow, blow a 10-point 10, 10 lead. A lot has to go wrong, I should say, where, you know, one stop. If you get a stop up 10, the game's probably over. If you get another touchdown, the game's probably over. And just... Just uh, couldn't finish the job. Um, what, what, now, going forward here, the Super Bowl. Fair, I, yeah, I want to say real quickly on that point. Jimmy Garoppolo is hurt. He's played. He was awful in the playoffs. I mean, he was absolutely terrible. There's no question about that. So we know that the analytics say to go for it. We know that that fourth and one, fourth and two, punting in plus territory. You know, look, I, I disagree with everything that Shanahan did. But I guess to, to play devil's advocate here, He's got Jimmy Garoppolo, and the running game was very ineffective, only two and a half yards per carry for the 49ers yesterday. The Rams basically said, look, Jimmy Garoppolo has to beat us, and clearly he couldn't do it. So there's also that where, you know, Shanahan clearly just has zero confidence in Jimmy Garoppolo to make those field position decisions to punt it away on fourth and short. You mentioned going for, you know, chip shot field goals and all of that. 
that speaks to a complete lack of confidence in Jimmy Garoppolo. And that's something that needs to be addressed for the 49ers, whether it's Trey Lance or it's another bridge quarterback for a year next year, something like that. But, you know, I, I know that I know what the numbers say. I know what the analytics say. I'm very much an analytics guy across the board. But also, too, just to play devil's advocate, it just spoke to the complete and utter lack of confidence in Jimmy Garoppolo, which also, too, I mean, if you get a fourth and short and you don't think Garoppolo is your guy, go ahead and go to Trey Lance. You have plays in your playbook to do that. So, you know, I I, I think Shanahan maybe long-term will make the correct decisions. We all talk about Brandon Staley going for it on fourth down. He has Justin Herbert. You know, Justin Herbert and Jimmy Garoppolo are not remotely comparable. So there's also that element to it, too, where if Shanahan wants to be more aggressive, maybe he's kind of sending the message, look, I need a better quarterback to be more aggressive with. Yeah, you got to wonder there, the power struggle. Now, there was a lot of back and forth, whether he wanted Mac Jones, he kind of got talked into Trey Lance. Uh, and you mentioned maybe they have a bridge quarterback or Garoppolo for another year, whatever the case is. You know, it, it's just so favorable in terms of having a, rook, a quarterback on a rookie deal to have a guy come in and say, you know what, we believe in this guy. We're going to trade up, give up all these picks. We're going to have him sit for two years. That's tough. That's tough because the clock's ticking. Every minute he's not playing, uh, you know, if he does hit it big, you're going to have to pay him sooner rather than later. So that's pretty damning if he's not able to get on the field next year, Trey Lance. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about it. And, and look, as you said, I mean, they gave up a lot of assets to, to go up that far to a kid that you know, really hadn't played in, in basically a year. You know, the FCS ranks didn't really play a whole lot. North Dakota State didn't play a lot of games. Then, of course, he goes into the draft. And also, too, I mean, look, for, for better or worse, I mean, you know, NFL guys are, are not FCS defenders, you know, for the most part. So that's something you have to worry about with that maturation process for Lance. And, and I think it's important to have this discussion, Will, because, look, you don't have Tom Brady anymore in the NFC. In all likelihood, I assume the reports are true that he's going to retire. Nobody knows what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers. The The NFC is pretty wide open here for the most part if you've got that quarterback play. The 49ers are in a position to capitalize on that if they upgrade at that position. And, you know, it's, it's something just worth talking about. I know everything's going to be about the Super Bowl for the next two weeks. But as you start thinking about going forward, the futures market, the bigger picture, all of that, you know, if the 49ers upgrade at quarterback, I mean, you know, what, what does their Super Bowl price look like? What does their NFC price look like where what's the best quarterback situation in the NFC? Dallas with Dak Prescott? You know, the Rams with Matt Stafford? You know, I, I don't really know what the answer to that question is, but the Ram, the 49ers could certainly put themselves into that discussion with their running game and their defense if they upgrade. Yeah, I mean, you can make a case. It's probably the best roster. If you just take every quarterback off every team, they probably have the best team. I mean, the secondary is definitely a little shaky. They had a hard time getting off the field yesterday. I'm a million third and longs. It kind of reminded me of the Tennessee game that Thursday night where uh, I just felt like A.J. Brown, third and 13, third and 10 every single time and, you know, not covering cup. That definitely uh, is going to haunt them along with that second and one sequence where they punt fourth and two. I mean, I think they punted them. Uh, they, they pinned them down to the three, and they got off the field. Uh, it, it, the Rams are going to have to punt from their own territory. And, and then the flag came out. They held, I think it was Jefferson, totally unnecessary. But other than that, I mean, that's a hell of a roster, and that's kind of why that fourth and two, second and one, that whole sequence is so frustrating because the Rams are vulnerable middle of the field. It just felt like the middle of the field was there, whether it's Kittle, Samuel, Ayuk. You just felt like you know, the, the 49ers had the weapons to exploit L.A. They just couldn't uh, just couldn't connect. And, I, you know, I don't know if Lance was worth a look whether it's a package, a play, uh, they definitely, I mean, they were just so close uh, to, to really putting the Rams away. Now, you made a good point. The Rams could have put them away early, but once the, the 49ers got control, they really uh, had a chance to put that game away. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, you know, like I said, I know everything's about the Super Bowl for the next two weeks, but I, I always like to look for different opportunities that are out there. And, and, you know, looking at this NFC picture, I mean, there's a reason why the 49ers came from being a wildcard team to this NFC championship game. They were an advanced metrics darling all year long. Yep. They have a couple of weaknesses that they can address if they choose to. And, you know, again, they're a team that, that could very well find themselves back in that same spot. And we could be talking about the same questions about Kyle Shanahan, you know, uh, 11 months from now. Now, when do uh, books usually post futures pretty much right after the Super Bowl? Uh, they don't post them before, right? There won't be odds for next year until the Super Bowl ends. I believe next year's Super Bowl odds are already out at some books, but I don't wow. think conference futures or, or anything like that are out yet. But you know as well as I do, Will, that, I mean, there there is no NFL offseason from, from a betting right. standpoint. You know, we're going to have win totals, you know, once the schedule kind of shakes itself out, we know who's playing when and all of that. You'll have all the draft betting. 
Everything happens with free agency. There's no NFL offseason. So, you know, I know that we're all focused on this Rams and Bengals game as we should be. But, you know, for the listeners out there, keep in mind that uh, we're, we're not that far away from having to think about 2022, uh, the 2022 season. No, especially with the draft, too. I mean, we're doing the New York City cast. So the Jets have a, a couple of top 10 picks. So do the Giants. There's picks all over the place. And uh, you mentioned the car- coaching carousel. I'll have to take a look at these Super Bowl odds. Is there anyone that jumps out at you? I don't know if you have them in front of you, but do you, do you anticipate a sleeper here in terms of, you know, where Rodgers can land? Now, we assume Brady's probably out of the mix. Sounds like he's retiring, like you mentioned. Uh, you know, Tampa kind of came out of nowhere a couple years ago to get Brady, win a Super Bowl. They cashed a lot of big tickets for people. Is there a sleeper here where you could see, uh, you know, a team off the radar landing one of these big-time quarterbacks, whether it's Watson, Wilson, Rodgers? Well, I think it's certainly a challenge with the Aaron Rodgers situation because Denver hiring Nathaniel Hackett as offensive coordinator, that makes sense for him to go to Denver. But, you know, also if you're Aaron Rodgers, do you really want to play in a division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert? You know, I think that's a a really difficult sell given that right now you play in the NFC North where Minnesota's a quality team, but you should win that division. You've got a chance to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. I think that's a really difficult one. Um, You know, look, I I think one team that you could take a look at here would be the Cleveland Browns, just simply because Baker Mayfield was hurt all year long. The running game is obviously phenomenal. The defense is very, very solid. They've done some really smart things in terms of player acquisition through the draft and also free agency. They're going to get one of the top wide receivers on the board, whether it's Garrett Wilson or somebody else in the draft, I would say. Um, Look, I don't know if Baker can – I mean, Baker could be – a Jimmy Garoppolo and and take you on a playoff run. I mean, I know Patrick Mahomes was hurt last year, but the Browns very easily could have beaten Kansas City in that divisional round game. Uh, I, I just feel like they're going to be a team that's probably going to be a little bit underappreciated, undervalued. The problem is they get a healthy Lamar Jackson. You see what Joe Burrow's doing. I don't know what Pittsburgh does at the quarterback position, but if I mean, the Browns are probably going to be in that what, maybe 50 to 60 to one range. I I think that there's probably worse bets you could make just because I trust their front office to fix the holes that they do have. And and also, too, I mean, this was a complete year of dysfunction with Baker being hurt, guys questioning play calling, OBJ leaving. Uh, The problem is the AFC is just really, really stacked. So the Browns price may yield some value, but given the variance level of the NFC, you're probably going to have to find a team from the NFC that makes some sense. Maybe a team from the NFC, you know, East, maybe a Philadelphia, if they upgrade at the quarterback position, something like that. But still a lot of moving parts for sure. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the Browns because uh, for those of you who don't know, Adam is a Browns fan. What What's the rumblings in Cleveland in terms of Baker? Will he be back? Uh, I'm sure. I, think, I feel like he's a, a polarizing guy where some people say, you know what, it's not his fault. He was hurt. There's probably some truth to that. And he certainly has his defenders. You know, these franchises that haven't won in a while, haven't had a quarterback in a while, you get a quarterback number one overall. See it with Miami with Tua, where the fans get very defensive, very attached to this guy. Like, this is our savior. This is our Joe Burrow. Uh, What are your thoughts on Baker? What are fans' thoughts on Baker and, you know, what they do going forward? You know, I wish they would have lost that Week 18 game against Cincinnati because they would have wound up with Jacksonville and the Giants on the schedule, which would have made things look a lot better. Instead, they're going to play Denver, who's a very, very good team and, of course, could have Aaron Rodgers. Who knows? Uh, That's one of the two third-place games they'll wind up playing. They'll keep Baker because they already picked up that fifth-year option. They don't really have any other choice, I don't think, except to go with Baker next season. If they improve the skill position guys around him at wide receiver – That's something where I think you can finally fully evaluate him because look, Beckham didn't want to be there. He was quitting on the team that, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about that, but the the Browns made really the only decision that they could there. Jarvis Landry was never really healthy. He's kind of a wide receiver three at this point in time. Anyway, kind of a slot possession guy, uh, people's Jones, you know, I I don't know if he could catch COVID with, with, you know, the way that he was trying to catch footballs this year. Uh, Anthony Schwartz was kind of a waste of a pick. They still have talent at the tight end position, but they need a wide receiver one. The offensive line is good. They just need a big play wide receiver guy, whether that's Olave or Wilson or somebody else in the draft. Then I think you can fully evaluate Baker and kind of take I – mean, look, he was really good last year. I mean, they, they were good enough to, as I said, play in that game with the Chiefs in the divisional round, maybe even beat them. Who knows what would have happened in the conference championship game. Baker's good enough to get them to the postseason. Can he win a Super Bowl? I don't know. But with the team around him, I think it's worth giving him the fifth year. The question then becomes, 
if 2022 is like 2021, you know, injured or not, then what do you do? Because this roster is not built to break in a new quarterback over a two to three year period. They're not going to be bad enough to get one of the top picks. They're not going to be bad enough to get a Bryce Young or somebody like that. So, or CJ no Stroud. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it, you know, what, what do you do? You know, the, the worst place to be in any professional sport yeah, right is in the middle. In the middle. It by far, you either got to be really good or really bad. And if the Browns are in the middle again next year with Baker and, you know, they don't want to throw 30 plus million a year at him and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't blame him for that. Then I don't know what they do. Yeah. I've always said that. I've always thought that, especially like NBA, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be picking 12th. You don't want to be the eight seed and losing the first round, either, you know, win a championship or, or get a top three pick and, and find your, you know, Curry, LeBron. I guess the, the counter to that is look, Mahomes went 10th, Allen went seventh, but like you said, you're competing against superheroes basically i mean these guys alan mahomes i know mahomes had a dreadful second half yesterday but alan mahomes herbert these guys can run they have rocket arms it, it you know you, you have your Kirk cousins baker mayfield you know Tannehill. you can kind of lump all these guys in the middle maybe you know mac jones I, I question his ceiling as productive as he was this year uh if you don't have a superhero you got to wonder you know what's your what's your upside what's your uh ceiling in, in terms of like who you're competing against right i mean you you have to be the 49ers you, you have right. to have an elite running game a very, very strong pass rush, you know, a defense that's strong at every level and just basically hope your quarterback doesn't hurt you. I mean, that's pretty much what, what you hope to do. And, you know, is that feasible in, in the current state of the AFC where also Trevor Lawrence will get better with a new head coach? You know, maybe Zach Wilson gets better. I don't know. He was certainly taken high enough. But you're going to have a lot of guys in the AFC that just get better, you know, so – uh, the Browns have, have a lot of questions, I think, a lot of soul-searching to do this offseason. Uh, but, you know, not, the more that I think about it, if you're looking at any futures market for next year, you have to look at the NFC just because of how wide open it profiles to be. Yeah, one that kind of I'll be curious to look at the price on. And, and again, you kind of got to get ahead of this news. You know, once, say, Watson gets traded to Carolina, well, that number's going to move. You missed the best number, and the hold on these futures isn't always the best. So you got to get ahead of it. Carolina is one I would look at. If you look at the NFC South, if you assume no Brady, the Saints are a mess. They're in you know salary cap hell. Uh, Atlanta is kind of in between where they're a rebuild. They're not really a contender. Um, you know the Bucks obviously take a step back. If you're Carolina, it's a pretty good roster. Now you got to keep McCaffrey on the field, but you got a good defense. Uh, that's kind of a, a make or break situation with Rule. I mean, he's had two really bad years. Uh, Watson at Carolina could make them an instant contender. I'd be curious kind of to look at their number. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's been really interesting that there's been virtually no movement with, with Deshaun Watson. And I understand the PR implications given all of the allegations and everything like that. But, like, we heard virtually nothing about him throughout Strange. the season. No progress on the case. No progress on any kind of settlements or civil suits or anything like that. Uh, and obviously not a whole lot of progress except for, you know, that token interest of, of Miami that was talked about a few different times. Um, but... Yeah, you know, I at some point, you know, that Watson situation has to heat up, at least from an NFL standpoint. You know, who knows what happens on the legal side? Yeah, I mean, it'd be fun offseason, like you mentioned. Watson, Wilson, Rodgers. Figure Garoppolo goes somewhere. I mean, it, it, even there's, uh, you know, rumors Cousins could be on the move. So it's interesting. And like you said, football never sleeps. Uh, early leans on the Super Bowl. Where do you think this number goes? I think it's four forty nine and a half. Kind of a blah Super Bowl, to be honest. I mean, I think we're both around the same age where, you know, 90% of our life, a Rams-Bengals game is like the seventh best game on any given day on Fox. These are kind of bland franchises. You know, LA's moved. They don't have a lot of fans there. It came from St. Louis. The Bengals, uh, we know how irrelevant they've been. You know, a couple runs with Marvin Lewis aside and, you know, some Carson Palmer years. But other than that, it's kind of a strange matchup. Obviously, a long shot, 500-1 to for this to be the matchup. Uh, what are your early thoughts here on the Super Bowl? Yeah, I think it's interesting that last night and then overnight and into this morning, we saw some money come in on the under. This total's actually gone down a little bit. I think it's 49, 48 and a half even in some places. So I think that's kind of an interesting initial position. Keep in mind that you get initial positions from the people that want to grab numbers, the stats crowd, the quant crowd, the modeling crowd, all of that. This number settles in and then it won't move for over a week, you know, unless there's some kind of practice injury or something like that. So for the listeners out there, you don't have to rush to anything here with the Super Bowl side in total. Pay close attention to the prop markets as those get released. But as far as the side in total goes, this thing will probably sit four and 48 and a half or 49 probably for a while now, unless there's some sort of injury. To me, I lean with the Bengals plus four here in this one. 
as I talked about, they make really, really strong in-game adjustments on the defensive side. And for the Rams, it's been a one good half and one bad half most of the season, whether that's Stafford, whether that's McVay, whether that's just the team as a whole. So you, know, you look at the Rams and, and the issues that they've had running the football here in the postseason so far, and the one thing that we noticed about Lou Anarumo, particularly in those two games against the Chiefs, he figures it out from a coverage standpoint at halftime. So maybe the Rams start out pretty strong in this game, but then Cincinnati probably will work their way back in. We know McVay gets ultra conservative with a lead if he has one. Joe Burrow in this passing attack can close that gap a little bit. So I think it is a scenario where the back door could be pretty wide open for this one. I, my initial point is to look at the Bengals plus four. I don't know if this line gets any higher. Maybe you see a rogue four and a half that you can wait on. Uh, but for right now, my initial thought is the Bengals plus four. But for the most part, this is going to be a very, very sharp number side in total. So for me, it's all about attacking the prop markets and, and trying to find value there. Yeah, and you're in kind of a dead zone anyway, you know, four, four and a half, five. Not a lot of games land on five. So, I, yeah, I agree. It's probably going to not move too much. And uh, you mentioned the props. How about the quarterback props? I don't know if you followed this yesterday. I had, I had some of Garoppolo under, and I had some of Mahomes over. Mahomes is at like 220 in the second half. He's cooking. He's going to cruise over this thing. The only thing you're worried about is pulling away so much where he's just going to hand off the rest of the game. He finishes 20 yards shy. He finishes with 275, doesn't get anything in overtime. So kind of a bad beat. Uh, if you had the Mahomes over. And then Garoppolo, a lot of places close 232 and a half. He's sitting at 235 on the final drive. He throws a backwards pass for three yards, doesn't complete another ball, and finishes at 232. Yeah, that was a rough one. I mean, I had Stafford under 37 and a half pass attempts in the divisional round, and the spike was number 38. So, so these quarterback props have been very interesting, to say the least here. The, the one thing I will say about the prop market looking ahead to the Super Bowl here is that one of the trends that I picked up on late in the year for the Rams is that Sony Michelle was getting a lot of work and he's yeah. gotten virtually no work. Now that cam Akers has come back, both guys ineffective yesterday. Akers, of course, as we know, terrible in the divisional round, the paradigm has shifted here for the Rams where they were relying on the running game late in the regular season. Now all of a sudden it's the Matt Stafford show. Stafford had a great first half against Arizona, a great first half against Tampa Bay. And then, you know, had to be great for long stretches of this game against the 49ers where he threw for 337 on 45 attempts. All of a the sudden, they've become a pass-first offense again. They were run-first the last six, seven games of the regular season. Now they're a pass-first unit. So I'll be really curious to see what Stafford's numbers end up looking like because if I'm Sean McVay, I look at our running game, or the state of our running game, and I say we can't do it. So this may be a game where you get a lot of Burrow and a lot of Stafford. And the move down on the total isn't exactly suggestive of that, but given what we've seen from you know Burrow's efficiency numbers and from Stafford and how frequently they've used him, I'm starting to look at these quarterbacks and, and kind of think it's going to be very tough to take an under with them, even though you generally want to look at unders in the Super Bowl because a lot of these things are, pardon the pun, propped up a little bit where you are paying a premium for some of these yardage totals and all that. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning. I mean, we'll have plenty of time to go into the props, the Super Bowl, everything. Tend to be very slow start, uh, very slow starting in terms of offense. You see a lot of scoreless first quarters. I mean, there was a stat. Tom Brady had never scored a point in the first quarter of any of the Super Bowls he played. It might have gotten broken recently last year. I think it might have. Uh, I think they scored at the end of the first quarter. But, you know, no score first six minutes, uh, things like that, where these teams, they don't want to lose it right away. You come out tight, you know, run it. Uh, run it a couple times. Let's be cautious. No turnovers. If it's fourth and one, let's punt. Let's just not lose it right away. Everyone, look, they're pros, but uh, it's the Super Bowl, so everyone gets nervous. Especially, you're gonna have a lot of guys playing in their first Super Bowl. So uh, maybe if you like the over, you wait till in game and and get a better number that way and uh, try to play it from from that perspective. Um, how much of your your prop shopping is just that? Is just shopping, looking for better numbers. I mentioned Garoppolo. You can got you could have gotten under two thirty two and a half if you shopped around. You could have gotten over two twenty nine, two thirty. How much of your uh, prop betting this time of the year is just shopping around for the best number? Yeah, I mean that's absolutely. I, I think that's maybe the most critical thing is is trying to shop around for the best number, and and not even just in terms of yardage totals or you know finding a plus five hundred instead of a plus four hundred for you know first touchdown or anytime touchdown something like that, but also too you know the the difference between minus 110 and minus 115, the difference between minus 105 and minus 120, you know, these things add up over the long haul. They are very, very important. So 
it's not even just a matter of, you know, finding the best plus price for MVP or first touchdown or anytime touchdown or whatever else. You know, pay attention to the, the smaller details, too, of if you can find, you know, over five and a half tackles and assists at minus 105 instead of minus 120, that 15 cents makes a really big difference. You know, you talk about the break even percentage at minus 110 is about 52.4%. It's technically 52.38. But as you go up every five cents, you know, your break even percentage goes up a full percent, stuff like that. So that's really, really important and very important to keep in mind when you line shop for the Super Bowl here. And also, too, I know we're on the New York City cast sponsored by Bet Rivers, but keep in mind that a lot of these sports books will have very good sign-up bonuses coming up. You yeah. can leverage those sign-up bonuses here for the Super Bowl. You don't have to stay at that book. You know, get your sign-up bonus, get your really plus EV bet. You can cash it out if you want to, but it also gives you the luxury to line shop a little bit too, and that's a really important thing for your bottom line. Yep, makes a lot of sense. It's smart. Yeah, I, I can't uh, can't emphasize that enough. You, you know, as as betters, we don't always have the advantages, but uh, you know, the ones we do have, we have to uh, you know use use the best we can. All right, before we get you out of here, baseball. You are a big baseball fan, a big baseball better. You're as good as anyone when it comes to breaking down these games. Uh, calendar's about to turn to February. Starting to get a little nervous. Usually, you know what, pitchers and catchers, we feel like we're on our way. Still in the middle of a lockout. When do you think we will get baseball? Well, that's that's a loaded question. I mean, look, we're we're two weeks away from when you know spring training is supposed to start. I've got tickets out here in Vegas. My Guardians are playing the Oakland A's. I think it's March 12th and 13th. Uh, kind of worried that those are going to be refunded at this point in time. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's crazy, and it it's also really frustrating for me too, and and frustrating for everybody that bets on baseball because not only do we have to figure out this whole CBA thing, there's more than 200 free agents that are unsigned. Crazy. So. These teams are going to have to move very, very quickly. Nobody's been able to have communication on either side. So, you know, these teams are going to have to move very quickly to try and get everybody into spring training, whenever that may be. And then, of course, hope that the season starts on time. At least they made progress with the most recent talks that they had. Um, but, you know, I don't think they're so much worried about starting spring training on time as they are trying not to move anything for opening day. So that also creates some, you know, interesting betting scenarios, too, of a compacted spring training and what that means for some of these teams, you know, with getting pitchers ramped up and all of that. Uh, it's just a complete mess right now. Will. I, I wish I had better answers for you, but you know, I'm just, I haven't even started my prep work yet because there are so many free agents out there that, you know, I look a lot of depth in terms of futures and win totals and all of that. And the reality is I, I just don't know at this point in time. I'm still reeling from hearing Guardians out loud. I think I've seen it on paper a bunch of times, but it's still so weird to, to see the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, that's uh, that's definitely one that's going to be taking uh, some getting used to for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I probably still call them the Oakland Raiders or the San Diego Chargers. It, it, fortunately, the Guardians are, you know, my team born and bred in Cleveland. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get used to it quicker than I probably would something else. But it is still strange to say. All right. How about the Mets? Uh, you know, it's weird to say a team with DeGrom and Scherzer, you look at them, and again, 200 free agents, like you mentioned, probably still add some pieces. Do you think they have enough starting pitching? You know, Walker really came back down to earth the second half of last year. Uh, McGill, the rookie, was decent. Not somebody you probably want pitching 1-1 in a tied playoff series. Uh, who am I forgetting about? Carrasco was a disaster, who, who's had a good career, maybe he just wasn't healthy. Uh, do you think the Mets have enough to put them on that level with, you know, the Dodgers? Uh, the Giants have obviously had a 100-win season. The Braves, the world champion, are in their division. Do you put, do you put the Mets on that level? I mean, they have no excuse not to be. Uh, you know, I, Tyler McGill was actually really, really good from a lot of the advanced metrics that are out there. So he's a guy I would take a very, very close look at uh, as we go forward here into this season in terms of, you know, not from a future standpoint. He's not going to win the Cy Young or, or anything crazy like that. But, you know, I think that there are some guys on that team that, you know, kind of underachieved a little bit. Last year, they had a lot of injuries. They had the COVID issues. Carrasco's a much better pitcher than he showed. Um, they they have all the talent in the world. I mean, there, there's no excuse for that team whatsoever. Morale may be a little bit better this year, uh, yeah, hopefully, with some of the changes that they've made. But, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and also, too, I think it's really interesting when you look at that division, you know, the, the Braves you know, coming off winning the, the World Series, they get Ronald Acuna back. But what happens with Freddie Freeman? Are they able to retain him? You know, Mike Soroka coming off the Achilles. Is he a guy who's going to be able to perform at a high level? Uh, you know, I've heard people that really like the Marlins for this year. Some guys I greatly respect looking at the Marlins as a long shot future play. 
Uh, it's a tough division. I, I always want to believe in the Phillies, but you know, they let me down year in and year out when I play any kind of future stuff on them. Uh, it's a strong division, but the Mets are clearly the most talented team in it. Yeah, that Marlin pitching is just scary. Now, they were bad last year hitting defense. They kind of didn't have the rest of the team. But, man, if you get those guys healthy, and that's a big key. You know, Sixto Sanchez, a lot of pitch. I mean, they got a million guys that just throw the ball 100 miles an hour. They took a chance on Lazardo. Maybe he bounces back. It's a lot of pitching, and they play the Mets uh, really tough tomorrow. And so that's an interesting sleeper. Uh, yeah, you, you made a good point. I mean, Lindor's got to bounce back. He really didn't have a great year. He, you know, heated up the second half of last year. But, uh, and again, you and I, we're, we're both very respectful of analytics. We use it to bet. We use it to evaluate, uh, you know, these games. But I do think there's going to be something said for just having an adult in the room with Buck Showalter. You know, it's been such a mess here. Guys fighting in the dugouts. You know, they were booing the fans last year. Remember with, uh, I think it was Lindor and Baez. Just having Showalter come in and, and kind of stabilize the situation. You know, they've had their GMs fired for for drunk driving and, and a bunch of off-the-field stuff. So uh, I think Showalter coming in and just giving them some stability uh, will be a good thing for them. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not a big Terry Francona guy, but I can sort of draw that kind of parallel yeah. where, you know, the Indians – they had to do something like that. They had to get a Terry Francona in there because the Manny Acta era just didn't work out. And Acta was a forward-thinking guy. He was one of the earlier managers to Sabermetrics. He just wasn't a people person. You know, he just wasn't the kind of guy that really fit the mold of that clubhouse. They bring in Francona. Everybody kind of feeds off of him and off of his personality and, and the respect that they had for him. It could be a similar thing here with Showalter and the Mets, where, as you said, he's, he's an adult in the room now. He's an experienced guy. You know, they have had a, a lot of turnover and, and also too, they have an owner now in, in Cohen who, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say he's Jerry Jones esque or anything like that, but you know, he's very vocal out there on social media. He's very much involved in all the day-to-day decision-making. And I think having Showalter as a guy who has kind of done and seen it all, he's sort of a nice buffer between the players and the ownership and the front office and all of that. So while I typically prefer managers that are kind of more analytically savvy than Showalter, I also think in this particular situation, he fits pretty well. Still can't really forgive him. I had a bet on the Orioles that Zach Britton game when Zach Britton was basically the most unhittable pitcher ever in, in terms of a reliever, and he's just sitting there in the bullpen. I think it was Ubaldo Jimenez just gave him a bomb to uh, Encarnacion. But, yeah, you make a good point. I mean, you know, Joe Torre, Phil Jackson, these guys aren't always the best strategic X's and O's guys, despite all the championships. So part of the job is, you know what, just keeping everyone happy, especially when you have a lot of superstars, uh, just kind of keeping everyone happy, even keel. It's a long season. So uh, I agree with you. We'll, we'll go across town here, the Yankees. Now, if you told me Judge was going to be healthy, Stanton was going to be healthy, and they were going to get good starting pitching, I'd say, wow, this team's going to win like 108 games. They did not do that. A really up and down street, uh, season, 13-game winning streak, long losing streaks, really odd. You know, LeMahieu, Torres had bad years. Uh, what did you see with the Yankees last year? Why did they underperform, and what do you see going forward here? Yeah, I mean, there were just some guys with track records that just didn't live up to them. And, of course, you know, it's very difficult when you've got such a, a big chunk of money dedicated to a guy like Giancarlo Stanton, and, and it's so hard for him to stay healthy. You know, I know that the Yankees have a blank checkbook. They can virtually spend whatever they want to. But, you know, look, it's still a, a big piece missing in the middle of their lineup, and, and this division is – very, very strong offensively, and the Yankees have to try and keep pace with that, and that means having everybody healthy, getting a better season out of DJ LeMayhew and, and some of those other guys that kind of set the table for the middle of the order. Uh, you know, also, too, they, they had some scenarios where the rotation depth kind of took a hit from time to time with injuries and, and those different types of things. I don't think the bullpen was as strong as I expected it to be, particularly in middle relief. The, the problem for the Yankees, and, and really the problem for any of the teams in this division outside of the Orioles, is that there's no margin for error. I mean, Toronto's really, really good. The offense is outstanding. Boston overcame what I thought was you know a pretty shaky rotation to be a solid team, to have a good offense. And you, know, you just you look at Tampa Bay, and, and they're just, I mean, they do it year in and year out. They're so good at maximizing all the talent that they have. They're the smartest organization in maybe professional sport with how they dig into analytics. All the guys that have left them have gone on to have success with other organizations. Uh, you know, you never count them out. So I think that that's just really the problem is, you know, you have to get optimal performance from as many people as possible, but also you've got to stay healthy in a division like that where the margin for error is so small. Yeah, Stan's been kind of a lightning rod for, for Yankee fans, and A-Rod went through this a lot. When you make that much money, you know, a lot when a lot's given, a lot's expected. And 
uh, you know, not very popular with the fans. I've always defended him, and I think he got a lot of people off his back with his last six weeks or so. I mean, he had a million home runs at Fenway. He almost hit a couple. I think he did hit one in that that wild card game, and he nearly missed two. I mean, he just hit two rockets off the wall. So, uh, again, he's got to stay healthy, but he was great the second half of last year. It just feels like the Yankees aren't really the Yankees anymore. You know, they go through these off seasons. They're very conservative. They're cautious in terms of their prospects. Uh, yeah, they signed Cole for a lot of money, but last offseason they signed Corey Kluber on on a kind of a show me deal and not much else. And they're just, you know, they're very beholden to this luxury tax. Uh, you know, George Steinbrenner's not walking through that door. It's not the same deal where he's just going to go out and, and buy the three best players and, and overspend. And, you know, look, they, they won their last title in 2009. They went out and they got to share Sabathia, AJ Burnett, Swisher. They spent a lot of money. It just doesn't seem like they do that anymore. It's not their MO. Yeah, well, I mean, look, you know, I, I think part of it does have to do with the luxury tax and, and maybe some different internal payroll constraints. But also, too, I understand the idea of trying to build from within, you know, because if you look at a lot of studies that are out there, you typically don't get back the value you put into free agency. And in particular, because a lot of these deals wind up being so spread out, you've got, you know, multi, the 10, 12, 15 year deals, all that kind of thing. By the time the end of that deal rolls around, just take a look at exactly. Detroit, for example, with, with Miguel Cabrera. I mean, he's just siphoning money off of that team. And that's why they're really building from within now. You know, They used to have the monster payrolls with Mike Illich. Now they don't really have that, or at least they're not going to have that, once they clear some of these contracts off the board. So to me, I think what the Yankees and what a lot of teams need to do is bigger AAV, average annual value, shorter term. Pay for the prime. Get a guy four years, 160 million. Give him 40 million a year, as yep. opposed to spreading that out and giving him 30 million a year over you know eight years, 10 years, something like that. Go ahead and get your value early on in that deal, and not worry about the back end of it. Now, of course, that's where the luxury tax comes into play, and we'll see what happens in the CBA to try and maybe encourage some more spending. The players certainly want that, but to me, that's what I would do. You know, I would do shorter term, higher AAV deals. And maybe the Yankees haven't quite gotten to that point, but I think the team that does will be a team that winds up having tremendous success with it. And that may be the the new market inefficiency that we wind up seeing, especially if they end up raising the luxury tax or something like that. Yeah, yep. It, it, it's a good point. And, you know, you're wasting Cole's prime and you, you, made, you made the good point about, you know, these long-term deals, they're bad at the end. Well, Cole's probably going to be bad at the end. You kind of got to win at the front end, and you're wasting his prime years. Now, he wasn't great last year, but still not great for him. His second in the Cy Young. And uh, it's just hard to sell fans. You know, go to a Yankee game. It's 50 bucks to park. You know, you order chicken tenders, fries, and a soda. It's like, you know, 38 bucks. It, it's hard to sell fans when they're paying that much money. Hey, we can't afford, you know, the luxury tax. I think they're valued, you know, six and a half, seven billion dollars. It's just a tough sell. It rubs fans the wrong way uh, when they hear that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. And, and look, I mean, I come from, you know, Cleveland, where it's a very, very small market, a penny-pinching organization. And, oh, yeah. you know, they don't spend money on free agency. But the one thing that they do do, and I give them a lot of credit for this, they do, they spend a lot of money internally. You know, they have a complex down in the Dominican Republic where they have a lot of their prospects, a lot of their international free agent signings. They teach those kids English. You know, they help them through all the things that they'll need to come over to the United States. And not only you know, be as comfortable as possible, but then also they have those, you know, one-on-one -on -one skills and all those different types of things. So organizations that are doing that internally, you know, they just built a, a big complex out in Goodyear, Arizona for spring training in uh, collaboration with the Cincinnati Reds, you know, maybe five, six years ago, whatever it was, that's how they spend. You know, they don't buy free agents. They try to spend internally and make a lot of those improvements in-house. Whereas other teams will just go ahead and spend like drunken sailors in the free agent market. The Yankees are probably trying to do both at the same time, and it's kind of a challenging thing to do. But, you know, you have a fan base to answer to. There are a lot of PR considerations, you know, all those different types of things. So, you know, when you look at spending in Major League Baseball, you know, they're raising the minimum salary. That will be something they do in the CBA. To this point, it looks like they're not going to do anything really with arbitration and years of team control. Uh, maybe they'll fix Super 2, which I think is something the players would really be happy about. But, you know, you go through these different periods where free agent spending is very high, then it kind of cur curtails a little bit, then it goes back up. You know, I think about the times when, you know, fourth and fifth starters were getting paid 12, 13, 14 million dollars out there in the market. Now teams are just saying, you know what? We'll take a kid that we developed, we'll pay him 600,000, and we'll probably get the same production out of it. 
So I'll be real interested to see what happens with free agency down the line, but also that, you know, infrastructure spending that teams like the Indians are doing, you know, does that become something that maybe the big market teams try to do a little bit more? Because as I said, free agency just typically doesn't reap the same benefits that it used to. No. Yeah. I mean, it, it, like you said, they're usually sucker bets, you know, these long free agent deals. It's usually a couple years into it. You're giving away assets, just begging somebody to take, you know, the guy off your hands. I know Zach Grinky comes to mind where you, know, you die to get this guy. Then a couple of years ago, go by and man, I, we got to get this contract off our hands with the Yankees. It was just a little different because, you know, 2017, they were a real long shot. You know, I think they might've been 50 to one to win the world series, 40 to one, something like that. A young core. They came out of nowhere. They were up three, two in the ALCS. And they've just kind of flatlined. You know, they got rid of Girardi. The young core has kind of, uh, you know, not, not bottomed out, but they just haven't taken that next step. It looked like they were headed for, uh, you know, some some really good years and some good teams, and they just haven't gone over the top. Maybe an extra free agent would do it. I mean, they've had playoff games where Brett Gardner's hitting third, you know, 38 years old. It's just uh, doesn't feel like they've capitalized on all this young talent. Yeah, that's a big part of it, you know. And, and also, too, I think they're kind of loyal to a fault to some guys as yeah. well. You know, especially a guy like a Brett Gardner, who really hasn't been an effective ball player the, the last few years, certainly not relative to the money that he was making. You know, they, they kind of have a hard time, it feels like, cutting the cord. And, and frankly, a lot of teams do. You know, I and, you know, we talk about it. You and I are both analytics guys. I'm, I'm not in the people person business. I understand that you have to be to a degree at the professional sports level. You have to treat your, you know, your personnel with respect and, you know, try to let those guys kind of end things on their own terms sometimes and all that. I'm a big proponent of trading a guy early as opposed to trading a guy late. I would have gotten rid of Lindor a year early, got rid of Kluber a year early, stuff like that. But, you know, there's the people side of it, too. And it, it feels like the Yankees maybe kind of have some blurred lines with that, where there are some guys they should have absolutely moved on from. And it takes them too long to do it. And, and it hurts them. And, and as I mentioned, you know, in a division like this, where the margin for error ends up being pretty small, you know, if you're getting negative value out of players, even if they're beloved or they're tenured or whatever else, you've got to make that move. And I think that Cashman, maybe with not spending in free agency and trying to develop all those guys internally, I think he's trying to get to that point, but maybe, you know, he's not allowed to make some of those decisions that, you know, would potentially better the team, not only in the short term, but also in the long term to get some of that young blood out there. Yeah. I kind of think they should move Hicks into the Gardner role, which is the fourth outfielder fill in, you know, Hicks, He's a good player, kind of an analytics darling switch hits. He walks really good on defense. He's just getting to a point where he can't really stay on the field. And maybe if he just fills in and he's that fourth outfielder, you get Gardner out of there. Uh, I know there's the, the Japanese outfielder who I believe is coming to the majors that's unsigned that some people like. So, uh, you know, maybe that's a route they go. All right, we got to get you out of here. You, you've been very generous with your time. One more before you go. This year's Giants, everyone's going to be looking for it. They were 100-1 to 1 to win the division. Uh, now, like, lightning usually doesn't strike twice. I mean, that was... Uh, uh, very unusual. Usually over 162 games, cream rises to the top, the best team wins. So for the Giants at 100-1 to to steal a division, uh, not saying it's going to happen this year, but if there's a team, a sleeper that you like, uh, I know you mentioned the Marlins. Uh, w would there be any team that really comes to mind in terms of that? Well, I just, I roll my eyes about the Giants thing because the Giants and the Diamondbacks had similar season win totals going into last year. And me, being the genius that I am, bet Arizona over and didn't play San Francisco. Uh, so that one will hurt me for, and haunt me for a very, very long time. I One team I could think of in the American League that, that kind of fits the mold of what you're talking about is the Detroit Tigers. But also, too, if they sign a Correa or somebody like that, which I think is still very much a possibility for them, their futures price is going to plummet. So maybe from a speculative standpoint, you grab them because – I don't think the Guardians are that good of a team. The Twins, there's something weird going on there that doesn't really line up. Uh, the Royals don't look particularly strong, although I, you know, I thought they were improved last year, and I did bet their season win total over. Uh, but I think the White Sox are kind of vulnerable, which is weird to say because they're very, very talented. But the Tigers, with their pitching, if they improve that lineup a little bit, I love A.J. Hinch. I wish Terry Francona would have retired so the Indians could have hired Hinch. Um, I think the Tigers are kind of a dangerous team. And as I said, you know, there are people that really like the Marlins out of the National League. I haven't done my due diligence on them enough to really definitively say that. Uh, but, you know, I know people that do like the Marlins. I'll probably do what I usually do and, and try to look at the National League Central and see which team I think could make a big leap. I had the Brewers at 55-1 to 1 last year to win the World Series. Was able to hedge that a little bit in that Braves series. 
Uh, but I'll probably look to the National League Central and, and see if maybe there's some sort of redeeming quality of, about the Cubs or if there's something I can pinpoint about the Reds, which everybody's kind of been on that train the last two years. But, you know, I think it's kind of tough because you've got a pretty widespread of talent. You've got a situation where I wouldn't be shocked if the wild card in, you know, both divisions or in both leagues comes out of the same division, the AL East and the NL West, where the Padres should be a little bit better. Um, you know, I think it's just kind of tough to, to look for one of those long shots to make it through. Yeah, you mentioned the Royals over. I was on that one too. Did we get that one? I know it came down to like the last weekend. It was 73 and a half, 74. They either went over by a game. I think it went up where if it was one of those middle situations where it might have been over 72 and a half, then you could have played under 74 and a half. I, I can't remember. Did you end up winning that one? I think so. I had over 72 and a half. I think they got to 73 or 74. Yeah, it was almost um, right on the number. It was it's amazing. It was very close. Yeah, over 162. They get it within a game, half a game, just so often. All right, Adam, I appreciate you coming on. We're going to have you on, hopefully, uh, as baseball. Hopefully, we get baseball back soon, and you'll help us out with that. I appreciate it. You've been uh, very generous with your time. Adam Burke, you can follow him on uh, on Twitter at Skating Tripods. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to mention before we sign off here, uh, posted today, or posting today, over at vcin.com, our free big game betting guide. Uh, I've got a piece in there about prop betting strategies. Josh Applebaum wrote about them as well. Uh, we got a piece from Dave Tooley about Super Bowl squares, what those are all about, and a lot of people like to play those. So we got that free betting guide. We'll have a lot of free content on the vcin.com website. Uh, we'll be doing 56 hours of programming in the lead up to Super Bowl 56 with a free video stream for everybody. Uh, we're going to have a ton of stuff here in the lead up to the Super Bowl. So I encourage everyone to check that out. Uh, you know, there are subscription packages available over there, but also a lot of free content as well. So, um, you know, look, I know there's a lot to talk about with the Super Bowl, but we're going to cover as much of it as we can at vcin.com. I'm just going to say this. If you're not reading Adam's stuff, you're just throwing money away. Adam's as good as it gets. Baseball, football, props, you name it. Adam uh, is as good as it gets. So appreciate you coming on, man. We'll do it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Will. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you to Adam Burke uh, for hopping on. Again, you can check out his stuff at vcin.com slash subscribe. We will be back tomorrow. We'll talk Super Bowl, basketball. Uh, Knicks are in action tonight. I can actually give you a pick. I, I was surprised. Knicks have played terribly tonight. They're six and a half point favorites uh, against the Kings. I like the Kings there. Knicks should not be six and a half points, uh, six and a half point favorites over anybody. They have played terribly. Now they need the game. This is a, a rough stretch for them. But uh, again, I would take the Kings in the points. We'll have plenty of time to talk about the Knicks, all their issues. The Nets are kind of a mess now. Hard is not really playing. Durant's been out a few weeks. So uh, lots to talk about with the, with the local basketball teams. We'll have plenty to do. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Thank you guys for listening. This is the New York City Cast presented by Bet River Sportsbook. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Mosley, and I want to let you know about my new immersive BBC Radio 4 podcast series, Deep Calm. It's all about how to tap into and activate a remarkable system that we all have hardwired inside of us, our relaxation response. And it's been developed to be listened to at any time you want to really unwind. I hope you'll listen wherever you get your BBC podcasts.